Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interaction. So, welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute of Neurogastroenterology at Barts and the London School of Medicine in London in the UK. This month, it's my great pleasure to welcome my friend and mentor, Professor Kasim Aziz. Kasim needs no introduction and has published many seminal papers concerning the role of the brain-gut axis in both health and disease. So Kasim, many thanks for joining us on the podcast this month and congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled The Association Between Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome Hypermobility Type and Gastrointestinal Symptoms in University Students A Cross-Sectional Study. So if we could start with the first question, uh, what is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? So Adam, thank you very much for having me over for this podcast. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a disorder of connective tissue. Uh, these are proteins which help to connect all the tissues of the body together. There are many different subtypes, but collagen is perhaps the most important one. Um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome uh, has seven subtypes. Six of these are genetically determined. Uh, in the seven subtype, there is heritability, and it runs in families, which is the uh, also described as the uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome hypermobility type, uh, or type 3. Um, in this condition, there is uh, quite a lot of joint hyperflexibility, skin elasticity, which is also quite fragile. Patients have muscle and joint pains. They have can have um, gut and bladder problems and also problems related to the autonomic nervous system. So these are the nerves that control all the organs of the body, including the heart. Um, so this is the, these are the uh, different types of uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And we've been working on the hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, as I said, this has previously been described as type three. So, um, how is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome hypermobility type diagnosed? It is diagnosed on the basis of uh, clinical um, criteria because the gene for um, majority of the patients with hypermobility uh, type of PDS is not um, yet uh, been identified. Um, the clinical criteria are known as the Villefranche criteria and also the uh, Brighton criteria. Um, so the Brighton criteria basically uh, involves assessment of uh, joint hyperflexibility uh, in the nine joints of the body. This is also described as the Baton score. And if you score four or more uh, on this uh, Baton score, which means that four out of nine joints are in the hypermobile range, then that is one of the major criteria. Uh, we also then ask the patients about pain in their joints, and if they have uh, pain in um, four joints or more, that is also a major criteria. So if you have two major criteria, then uh, the diagnosis of um, joint uh, hypermobility syndrome or hypermobile type of EDS uh, can then be made. Uh, but sometimes uh, patients do not meet the four, um, uh, the, the uh, two major criteria. In that case, um, if you have one major criteria and uh, three minor criteria uh, as well, then you can um, qualify for this uh, condition. Uh, 
Um, so overall, it's a diagnostic criteria based on the clinical presentation uh, of the patient. So why might connective tissue abnormalities be important in functional GI disorders? Uh, functional GI disorders, by definition, are disorders of gut function. And um, in these disorders, gut function can be abnormal because of a uh, problem in the way that the muscles uh, uh, function or, or move or the way that the nerves uh, uh, function. But there is also a third type of tissue that is present in the gastrointestinal tract like every other part of the body, which is a connective tissue. And in, within the gut, we know that there is an extensive connective tissue layer, but we're not yet familiar of exactly what function it has in the gastrointestinal tract. We know that other connective tissue disorders like lupus, like scleroderma, these are inflammatory disorders of connective tissue, and they are associated with gut uh, motility problems, sensation problems, etc. But the link between um, a heritable non-inflammatory connective tissue disorder like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and gastrointestinal functional problems have not been established. So our studies have really been aimed to try and see whether patients who have these heritable non-inflammatory connective tissue disorders like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, whether they present with gastrointestinal symptoms and disorders of gastrointestinal function, and whether they meet the criteria for functional gastrointestinal disorders. Um, and this is the link that we have uh, started to establish now that uh, Ehlers-Danlos and functional GI disorders appeared to, appear to have uh, a association. Um, and this is exactly one of the areas we were looking at in the current study. So what do we know about the prevalence of uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type in, in other functional GI disorders to date? So um, our studies have shown that um, roughly about 40% of patients with irritable bowel syndrome meet the criteria for um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type, and about 50% of patients with functional dyspepsia uh, meet the criteria for um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type as well. And as you can imagine, this is really quite a large um, proportion of patients um, that meet this criteria. Therefore, this is a big subgroup uh, of these functional disorder patients. The studies in other subgroups of functional disorder patients, the numbers are really quite small and therefore it is difficult to comment. Uh, but certainly in uh, disorders of uh, pelvic floor function, for instance, uh, we have found quite a high prevalence of uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, in those uh, patients uh, as well. Um, while um, these are results from uh, our studies. Um, other colleagues have also started to perform studies uh, to look at this interaction and are finding um, similar results, although some of these studies have not yet been uh, published. So what were the objectives of your current study? Our main objective was to determine uh, and compare the prevalence of individual gut symptoms in healthy subjects uh, who were basically described as non-patients, uh, but we assessed them for the presence 
of uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type. Um, and I did divided them into two groups, those who met the criteria for um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type and those who didn't. The second uh, objective uh, was to determine whether the presence of gut symptoms was influenced by the presence of other uh, factors such as uh, muscle and joint pains, uh, presence of uh, psychopathology, presence of uh, problems of the autonomic nervous system, whether the gut symptoms were being driven by these other factors. So those were the two main uh, objectives. Um, therefore, what methods did you use in your study to, to address these objectives? So this was a cross-sectional study in healthy university students. We started by giving a screening questionnaire to a large population of um, uh, university students. Uh, this was sent by email and they were asked to reply to this questionnaire, which helped us to determine whether they were likely to have joint hypermobility or not. Then we invited those who clearly seemed to meet the criteria for hypermobility on the questionnaire versus those who did not meet the criteria for hypermobility. Um, and of those who agreed to come for the second arm of the study, which involved a examination by an experienced investigator to determine whether they met the criteria for um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or not. So there, here again, we use the Brighton criteria to um, confirm that. Um, then we gave them questionnaires to assess the presence of both gastrointestinal symptoms and non-gastrointestinal symptoms, including um, uh, symptoms of anxiety, depression, muscle and joint pains, um, and also symptoms of uh, autonomic nervous system dysfunction. So what were your key results uh, to emanate from your study? What we found was that over half of the students with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility type had three or more different gastrointestinal symptoms um, greater than just a few times uh, per month. Uh, so these, uh, the, so in other words, the uh, hypermobile um, patients were more likely to have gastrointestinal symptoms. The most common symptoms um, in these um, subjects were early satiety, which is fullness um, after meals. They tended to feel fuller after meals uh, quite soon after starting eating. Um, and uh, also, um, this was more common in the hypermobile versus the uh, non-hypermobile patients, subjects. There was no difference in anxiety or depression score between the groups, um, but there was a difference in muscle and joint pains and autonomic symptoms, um, particularly autostatic intolerance, which is um, you know, they get symptomatic when they change posture. Um, uh, and, and these symptoms were more common in the uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome patient versus those without Ehlers-Danlos um, syndrome. Um, these factors, however, did not influence the presence of gastrointestinal symptoms um, and pain-related quality of life scores were reduced in the group with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So what were the limitations of this uh, study as you see them? The first limitation was that um, there was quite a large dropout between the screening stage, uh, which was the stage when we were just sending out 
uh, an email with uh, five questions about how hypermobile their joints were. Um, and the second stage where they were invited to come for an examination. So while the questionnaire only takes five minutes, the examination takes uh, overall together with all the questionnaires, they had to fill out almost an hour. So it's not surprising that the students are quite busy. Um, they, there was quite a, a significant dropout at that stage. Um, the information sheet, sheet that was sent to the patients during the first part of the study suggested that the aim of the study was to investigate gut symptoms in, in these students. So it is possible, therefore, that more students with gut symptoms were encouraged to take part, which may have introduced a bit of a selection bias. However, we feel that if this was the case, it would have applied to both the subgroup of patients who had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and those who did not have Ehlers-Danlos, uh, and therefore should not have accounted for differences seen uh, between them in our study. So this, I think this is a very uh, exciting area and certainly um, provides a potential uh, pathophysiological explanation for some of our patients who hitherto have not uh, been able to be given a, a, a cause for their, for their symptoms. So where do you think, in, in light of that, the knowledge gaps lie in the field and, and how do we go about uh, addressing these? So basically we have demonstrated that there is an association between uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobility type, and gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, and in this particular study, we demonstrated uh, a association with uh, symptoms of dyspepsia, which is uh, early fullness and discomfort after meals, etc. But we haven't yet established causation. So um, studies are now required where you actually assess the um, stomach on in these patients and the small bowel to see whether there are problems in mechanical factors. For instance, is, is the stomach in these subjects uh, more uh, distensible? Whether the problem is in the autonomic nervous system, whether the problem is in the sensation of the gut. So they're all studies that need to be done to try and understand what the mechanism is, uh, which, uh, which explains why these patients have more gastrointestinal symptoms. So we need to move from association to causation. Super. And so with that, I'd like to thank uh, you, Kasim, and, and your co-authors for a really excellent paper uh, and assisting in this month's podcast. But also I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. And I look forward to welcoming you again to another instalment of the podcast next month. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition.